So we are on the last two verses of James. So I was looking through my, you know, my, uh, my files, and we began James on April 2021. So it's been 11 months. We took 11 months to cover five chapters, right? The next series that we're going to do is about Joseph. That's 13 chapters of Genesis. So I don't know, maybe... Jimmy's child's going to get married by the time we finish, finish Genesis. Who knows? Right? So, but, but, so, but we, are, we are in the last two verses. We're in the home stretch here. So before, so to conclude James, we need to go back to why James wrote these words. These words James wrote to instruct the Christians, the Jewish Christians who are scattered through the Roman Empire of how to live their lives in the end times. James is saying, James is instructing, James gave all these instructions with the single purpose of saying, your life is short in this world and you need to live a certain way. And I think this, the, James, this purpose of James hit me hard this last two weeks because there were two events that, that I was thinking about in the last two weeks. Right? Or the last week or so. The first event that I thought about this week, as all of you have, is the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Right? Like all of you, I don't think I've ever experienced such invasion from a superpower. I mean, you know, U.S. invaded little countries before, but that doesn't count, right? Because we're the good guys. But it's alarming that a huge country like Russia is invading a democratic nation like Ukraine. So it broke my heart. But what, always, what also is alarming is if you, read, if you listen to the political commentators or the possible scenarios of how this event could escalate, it could be bad for us real fast. Russia can launch a cybersecurity, a cyber, cyber, cyber attack that can cripple the power grid and the utilities of America. Then U.S. will do another high-level attack against or sanctions against Russia. And it can go back and forth and back and forth to the point where the life that we know it now can end very abruptly. Remember the oil crisis, like the oil bump crisis in Virginia like a few months ago, last year? When in one morning, because of cyber, cyber attack, we couldn't get gas. In one morning, there was a cyber attack and we couldn't get gas. Remember that? That could be a reality. Worse things can be a reality of our lives. So having listening to those political commentators about the possible escalation of this invasion made me realize that the world that you and I are used to on an everyday basis, our jobs, our hobbies, our homes, the modern economy and our lives that are built on this modern economy, it's built on very fragile ground. 
your everyday reality, my everyday reality, it can crumble by a, by a, by a computer hacker. It's a very fragile existence that we're living. And that's what I realized. Jesus says, do not build your treasures on earth. And I think this is what he means. He's saying the conditions and the reality of the systems of this world is a fragile, dissipating system. Do not build your life on it. The second thing that I remember that, that was in my mind constantly this week, and I, and I asked Heather's permission to talk about this, was Heather's grandfather. Heather's grandfather, Heather's mother's father, he passed away last week. And Heather's grandfather, for 30 years, you know what he did? He's a... Caucasian fella, as you can see from Heather, as Caucasian as you can be, right? Doesn't speak Spanish, lives in Seattle, but he had a heart for Spanish speakers. So he learned Spanish, and he went, he went knocking door to door to evangelize. And for 30 years... He spent his life ministering to and evangelizing to the Spanish community in his area. And I was telling Heather, when he, when he appeared before the Lord, what would the Lord say to his, her grandfather? For a man who devoted 30 years of his life here to the building of his kingdom, amongst people whom this society do not recognize. He poured out his life for them. Will, not, will, will God not say to such a person, well done? And I told Heather, if there was one person that I envy, it's her granddad. Because you and I, will one day go before the Lord. We will go before the Lord. And what will he say about your life? We live in a very fragile existence in this world. We do. It's a a world that is fading away real fast. And in this fading temporary world, Are you going to live such a way that when the Lord looks at you and how you lived your life, will he say, well done? Or will he say, you have wasted your life? Are you wasting your life? Or are you building your life for the kingdom of God? James is writing this letter so that the Jewish Christians will not 
waste their lives in this world. He gives many instructions. James is saying, the first thing James is teaching is, do not waste your suffering. Do not waste your trials. Your trials, every little trial that you go through, reveals what is inside of you, reveals whether you are in Christ or not. And every little trial God can use to build your faith. James is saying, consider pure joy when you go through many different trials, because trials clearly reveal what you believe in. And trials can be used by God to build your faith. In this short time, you will go through trials. Don't waste it. Ask God to reveal himself to you through those trials. In this short life that you live, James is saying, watch your mouth. Watch your words. Your words can destroy a lot of things. Watch your words. In this short life that you live, James is saying, live a life of true faith. Put your faith into action. If you say you have faith, James is saying, but if, you, if your actions, if your lifestyle does not match your profession of faith, James is saying, it's no faith at all. In this short life that you have, much like Heather's grandfather, live so that your life will match your profession of faith. In your short life in this world, James is saying, fight worldliness. World, definition of worldliness is temptation to only think about the concerns of this life. Worldliness means only thinking about and obsessing about and trying to get the things of this world. Fight worldliness. Draw near to God in this short world, in the short time that you have. Draw near to God in this world. James is saying, in the short life that you have, especially in the sufferings that you go through, Focus on the day of the Lord when you suffer. So that even though the suffering that you go through may not end in this world, know that they will eventually end when the Lord, Lord is revealed. So when you suffer many things in this world, focus on the day of the Lord and hope in that day. That's what James is saying. In the short life, James is saying, in this world, you pray. Live a life of prayer. Live a life of prayer in this short world. Pray when you suffer. Pray when you find joy. Pray. Fellowship with God. In this short, temporary life that you have, go deep with God, fellowshiping with him prayer. Two weeks ago, I said, we concluded, James is also instructing in the short life that you have in this world. Pray with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Which means your faith in this short time in this world is not meant to be journeyed alone. You need to be involved 
with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's your faith is, your faith grows and matures within the context of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why he says, pray for one another. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for one another. Let your faith unfold within the context of the community of faith. That's what he's saying. Real, real here, man. I was thinking about you guys. I remember like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I'm say, I was saying, like, I'm praying for a lot of different people in my life. You, you guys and the, all, all my friends, right, and my, bro, and my family members. And what I realized was this. The people in my life, including you, how many people are actually praying for the people that I'm praying for? How many people are actually praying for you? Do you know? Some of us have family members for all pastors, and there are a lot of people praying for them. But for most of us in Embrace, we are not from that family. There's literally only a handful of people in this world that we can pray, that, that who will pray for us. An individual member of Embrace, perhaps it is only you who will pray for that person. Think about it. The individual members of this church, there isn't an army of people praying for them. Maybe it's only you. And therefore, you need to pray for them. Right? Me, me, I, when I realized this, I could not help but to pray more, you know? I can no longer assume that there are people, other people praying for you. I can't. It is not just my job, Christian. It is your job. If you're a member of our church, it is your job to look after the conditions of the souls of other people in the church. And the number one way that you commit to each other is through prayer. Prayer and being, and being for that person when the person is struggling. James is saying, in this short life that you have in this world, pray for the community. Serve the community of God. Especially pray for people, James is saying, concluding these verses, for those who are wandering away from the truth. James is ending his letter by telling us there are people in, in the community of faith who are tempted to wander away from the truth. Christianity 101. Human beings are made in the image of Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Jesus is the logos. He is the word of God. We are created by him and for him. 
And because we're made in his image, we are people of truth. The reason why podcasts and books and video games and all these forms of entertainment is so addictive is because in those different forms of entertainment, there is an element of truth to them. There is. We are people of truth. But Paul is saying in Romans 1, I'm sorry, we are the people of truth, and the most fundamental truth is that God exists, exists, and everything revolves around God. That's truth 101. Proverbs saying, the fear of the Lord, the awe of the Lord, the respect of the Lord, the understanding that God exists and he rules all, that understanding, that awe and respect for him, recognizing that, that's the beginning of truth. Right? When you realize God is a reality and he rules all, that's the beginning of truth. When you realize God exists, you also realize God makes, make God established reality with laws. The universe is made up of laws of physics and equations. It, it behaves in a certain predictable ways because it's made with laws. Your cells replicate in a certain way. Your cells like, ask June. June, said, June will say it's correct. Your body behaves in such a way because it's designed in a certain way. It obeys certain rules, your body. Your soul also is designed for a set of laws. God designed your souls for a set of laws, with certain laws. When you recognize God to be true, you also recognize he has, he has established the universe with laws. And you recognize the universe is not about how you feel, but it's about obeying and conforming to God's law. God is truth. He is the ground of truth. His truth is he made the universe and reality with certain sets of laws. And we are designed to conform to those laws. That's truth. But Paul says in Romans chapter 1, we suppress this truth with wickedness. Every human being suppresses the truth in wickedness. The number one truth that we suppress is we don't acknowledge that there is a God. We suppress the truth of the knowledge of God, Paul says. Basic truth 101, God exists. We suppress that knowledge of that truth. When we deny God's reality, we also deny his law. When we deny God's law, all we are left is our desires, and we are led by our desires, not by the laws of God. That's what sin is. I'll give you an example. It'll make sense. What the fallen human condition is, is a, is a mind that denies the reality of God and his laws, which is truth. And a, and a mind that is led by desires rather than truth. 
We use our minds to justify our desires. But we're really led by our desires. That is why Paul says in Romans 1, humanity is spiring out of control. But when Jesus Christ saves us, when we are in Christ, when we are united in Christ, what he does is he gives us a new nature, a nature that recognizes truth. And we live in a conformity to that truth. When we start to live in conformity to the truth, we begin to be more free from the power of sin. And we start to become a more normal human being. A couple of examples. Number one, my guy Beckett, Beckett Cook, he has, once again, former homosexual, he has a podcast now. This is what he said last week. He said, when I was in the homosexual lifestyle, for 40 years, I think, he said, I believe that my identity was that I was a gay man. And I believed in what that lifestyle promised. That if I just found the dude, then my life will be complete. Very shallow, very Disney, but true. He was looking for a dude to, conf- to complete him. God saved him in a very powerful way. God revealed himself in a very, very powerful way. He is in Christ now. And when, when Christ came to his life, he began to see that the gay lifestyle he used to live was not freedom, but it was bondage. He was in bondage to his desires. Now he realizes in Christ, his mind is set free. So when he looks at his former homosexual lifestyle, he has no longing to go back. Because he sees now how, what a bondage that lifestyle was. This is how it's supposed to work. Before Beckett Cook met Christ, he was led by his desires his desires made him enslaved to certain to sin. But in Christ, Christ sets him free. His mind is set free. He sees things more clearly now. That's the work of God. He saves you so that your mind can be in truth. Went to a fantastic small group on Friday. It was me and the starts. Right? It was fantastic. I love small, small groups. Right? Doesn't mean you shouldn't go to small groups, but I love the small group. And we had a really good discussion. I revealed something about my sins that I didn't reveal by any, anyone else. It was just Starks know about my sins. No one else knows. Right? Don't ask Starks what, what it is. Right? It was really good. But what we realized during the small group was... The Starks told me, before they were saved, they didn't think sin was sin. They thought they were right. But now having been saved, 
they realized they were wrong. You know? It's, it's, it's that kind of a simple reality. Before Christ, they thought they were right. But when they're saved, they realize now they were wrong. And God is constantly showing how wrong they are. Yeah, I think that's how it works. Being a Christian means God is constantly renewing your mind in the truth. He lets you see God in more, more of a clear light. And seeing God in more clear light makes you behave differently. Makes you behave in a more truthful way. That's how it works. That's what Christianity is. Do you understand? Forget about these religious experiences and gobbledygooks, right? At the core of Christianity, it transforms us into the person of people of truth. And when you are in Christ, when you're saved, the evidence of your salvation is he continuously works in your life so that you will become more and more of a person of truth. Truly, 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 this is how it works. When you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is involved in your life. And his involvement is he makes you understand God more, and that understanding leads you and makes you become a person of truth. He really does do that, and the Starks are evidence of that. Man, I'm singing high praises to the Starks. Man. But not just them. But I see some of you experience in the same way. If you are in Christ, if you're saved, he will do this. He will consistently do this. Transform you into the person of truth. He will. Because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to recognize that there are forces in our lives that tries us, that tempts us to wander away from the truth. If God's work is to transform you into a person of truth, there are forces in your life that tries to make you not focus on the truth to wander away from the truth. The term wandering that James uses in verse 19, he can mean two things. The way people wander, there can be two ways that people wander. Number one, they can wander by beginning to have the wrong idea about God. Their theology, their understanding, their concept of God, it becomes tinted. It becomes contaminated. When your understanding of God becomes contaminated, it can lead you to your wandering. Or wandering involves, wandering can be caused by immoral behavior. You engage in certain actions, and those actions make you question the nature of God. Tim Keller gave a very helpful example. Tim Keller, he, in his church, he always worries about the senior high schoolers of his church. 
because in his experience, a lot of the seniors who graduate from high school, go to college and come back, many of them lose faith. And he says there are two main reasons why these high schoolers lose faith when they go to college. Number one, right, they meet a professor that challenges their Christianity. Right? They, that challenges their theology, challenges their understanding about God. By the way, one of my hobbies is to listen to atheists. I've listened to the best atheists ever, right? Their arguments are shallow at best. They are. But these youngsters, they never, they aren't used to these knowledge of these atheists. And when their faith is challenged, when their understanding of God is challenged, they start to drift away. He said that happens, but the overwhelming number one reason for people want, for young kids, people wandering away from the faith, it's not because of their professors influencing their Christianity. The number one reason why people wander away from the faith is in, in college, they start to have sex. When they start to have sex, they realize the God of their youth is an intolerable God, intolerant God. God is a God of rules, and I want to believe in a God of God of rules, right? When they begin to have sex, they don't want to believe in a God who, who demands sexual purity, sexual um, purity. I don't want to use purity, sexual, sexual ethics. That's how people wander away from God. You either start to have the wrong ideal about God, or you start engaging in things, practices that are immoral. In order to justify your immorality, you question the nature of God. This is what James is warning against. Once again, these are people who once professed faith in Jesus Christ, who, once, who was once baptized, who once were baptized in the church, who once served the church. But these people began to wander away from God, either because of wrong theology or they start to engage in immoral behavior. These two things are causing them to wander away from the truth. What are the forces that tempt you away from, that tempt you to wander from the truth? Force number one, your desires. Remember, before you're saved, you're led by your desires. Even after we're saved, even though we're in Christ, the old desire, is, it's, it remains. And we want to listen to our desires more than God's calling us to walk with him. I'll give you a simple example. Like I said in the, in the prayer of confession, Ten Commandments, commandment number one through four is about loving God, about recognizing that there is only one God, right? We recognize that there is only one God. We need to remind ourselves that there is only one God and he exists everywhere, primarily through the study of his word and primarily through prayer and fellowship with him. That's how you recognize that God is real. You affirm his reality by constantly walking with him, constantly fellowshipping with him. 
You begin to see he's involved in every little instance of your life. It's true. In my life and in yours, he's involved in every single aspect of your life. It's true. But the only way that you recognize his involvement is if you walk in fellowship with him through his word and through, through prayer. But what do we do? Our desires say, let's be comfortable here. Let's be comfortable here. You're tired. Are you really that tired? Really? Okay, newborn parents, yeah, I give you. You're tired. But, but, but unless you have newborns, come on, really? You're tired. Reading the Bible is so boring. Prayer is so boring. God's not going to do anything with your prayers. Come on. Let's do something more fun. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul warns about, Paul says, before we were Christians, we were slave to our flesh and its thoughts. Paul talks about us being Slaves to the thoughts of the flesh. The thoughts of the flesh is our thinking. We want to think things that are focusing more on what is pleasurable to us rather than truth. Paul is saying before you were Christian, even your thoughts, you were more focused on finding things that you think is more interesting rather than God. Do you understand? For example, for me, Two things that I'm interested in, apart from God, is Batman and political commentary, right? I listen to communists a lot. I do. I listen to alt-right libertarians. I love those. I love listening to political arguments, right? And I love studying everything about Batman. Really cool. But if I'm not careful... My mind always wants to go on to those two topics rather than going to God. There's a desire that I have in me. My mind says, let's see what Ben Shapiro has to say about this. Let's see what that communist guy has to say about this. I want, I can spend hours listening to political discourse. If I do, where is the room for God? And I'm pretty sure you're like me. Maybe you're not into political discourse. Maybe you're not into Batman, heaven forbid. I asked my daughter, you want to go see Batman with Daddy? She says, no. And I said, why don't you take a knife and stab my heart, why don't you? Right? But maybe Batman is just a silly man in costume. I don't know what your thing is. But maybe your thing is letting telling you spend more time thinking and listening and being entertained by it rather than listening to the voice of God. When you do, you will start to wander. Do you understand? 
Your desires want to make you wander away from him. Look, am I sitting by watching, thinking about Batman and listening to communist dudes pontificating about their communism? No. I would imagine there's a place for that. But it can't be my main diet, right? Enemy number two that force, like, tempts you to wander is the wor- it's worldliness. Is worldliness. Worldliness is simple. Be obsessed with the things of this life right now. Be obsessed with the house that you're going to buy. Be obsessed with the job you're going to have. You have. Be obsessed with, I don't know, where you're, what brand of clothing your baby wears. Is that a thing? I don't know. Be obsessed with where your kids end up in college. Be obsessed with all these things. Be obsessed with it. Focus only on it. I'm not saying, you know, being, caring where your kids go to school is wrong. Right? Yeah, UVA, right? But that's all fine and good. But if you're like only focusing on the matters of this life, where is the room for God in your life? Where is the room for truth in your life? If you're so worried about getting things in this world, Once again, James reminding us, your life in this world is so short. If you're obsessed only with the things that are happening in your life right now, where's the truth of God? Number four, our enemy, Satan. Satan uses our desires. Satan uses our worldliness to say, hey, that's right. Don't set your mind to things above. That's right. Don't think about Christ. Don't think about God. Don't think about the day of the Lord. Don't think about anything. Think only about now. Yeah. That's what you got to do. Think about cravings. Think about desires. Think about entertainment. Think about Batman. Think about all these things. But for heaven's sake, do not think about God. Do not make room for him. Do not do it, man. That's how he tempts you. When your life is controlled and dictated by your desires and worldliness, rather than the truth of God. Why wouldn't you start to wander? You know? You'll start to wander. And wandering here, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not a dramatic shift away from God. No one dramatically shifts away from God. It's a gradual shifting. Hardly noticeable shifting. I'll do my quiet time tomorrow. I'll go to church next week. I'll do better next week. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Too many tomorrows. You will wander. 
James is saying, if a fellow brother and sister is wandering, wandering from the truth, it is the call of every Christian to reach out to their brother and sister so that they will stop their wandering, so that they will remain in the truth. Who's going to stop your brother and sister from wandering? You and I are called to do that. Maybe we think, oh, maybe God's going to do something dramatic in their life to stop them wandering. Maybe he will. But what is clear is the call for us to be used by God so that our brothers and sisters will stop, will prevent from wandering away from the truth. Why is this so important? Verse 20. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. Remember, once again, James talking about people who once made professions of faith in Christ, people who once were baptized, people who once served the church. Maybe there were people who were once deacons of the church. But now they start to wander. And James is saying, you need to help those people not wander. Why? Because if they persistently wander, their souls can die, which means they will be sent to hell. These people who once professed in faith in Christ, if their wandering does not stop, they can be eventually be sent to hell. That's what he's saying. You're smart people. Then you're going to say, whoa, 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 Pastor Jay. I was raised with the belief, every pastor I ever had, and in SPC, there were many pastors I, I had who taught me, once saved, always saved. If you made a profession of Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ, then God will keep you and you will forever be saved. Isn't that true? Well, yes. Then how can you say this person, because they're wandering, just because they wander, they'll be sent to hell? Is that true? Well, yes. What's, how do you explain that? Simple answer is, the evidence of whether your faith is true is if you last till the end. If you, if you started in faith in Christ, but started to wander, and if you persistently wandered, and you died wandering, the Bible says perhaps that is evidence that that person was never saved. It doesn't matter, it does matter how you started out, but the genuineness of your faith, saving faith, is evidenced by whether you make it to the end. Let's go to those verses. Hit it, Joe. It's true. Ephesians 2, verse 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. He's saying, if you have faith, it is not because of your own. 
God moved you so that you will have faith. And when you have faith, you are saved. All of it is a gift from God. If you're saved, it is because God has saved you. It's true. But, hit it, Joe. Okay, not every, okay, next one, Joe. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 12. Now I, would, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand. Next. And by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Is this it, Joe? And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds. Next, Joe. He has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless. Next, Joe. Okay. Long. So what Paul is saying in the first part before, the evidence that you are saved is if you persist till the end. Next verse, Joe. Colossians 21. If indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in you in all creation under heaven and on earth, which I, Paul, began a minister. He's saying, once again, look, the evidence of your salvation is if you continued in the faith, stable and steadfast. What is the genuineness of your faith? It's a stable, steadfast Consistent faith. Not a wandering faith. Next one. These are Jesus' words. Look at the last verse. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. These are the words of Jesus. God saves you. But the genuineness of your faith is evidenced by the fact that you last to the end. If you wander, if you wander to the end, that is evidence, perhaps, that you were never his in the, in the first place. For those of you who are spiritually dry, I don't want to be mean, but I, I guess I kind of have to be mean a little bit. For those of you who are spiritually dry, let's stop blaming the church or me or Pastor Ujin. Maybe you're, I think you're spiritually dry because you are not making room for God in your heart for the truth. Go to the next verse, Joe. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Continue. Next verse, Joe. Come on, Joe. Please. Oh, that's all I give you? God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of the son. This verse means God is faithful. Those whom he has called, God is faithful and God will help you endure to the end. And that's true. 
But if you're dry, maybe you're dry because you're blaming the blame of your dryness on other people rather than opening your heart for the truth of God to sink in. Let's be honest. And if you're spiritually dry, you got to make a distinction between whether you're dry or whether you're wandering. Because spiritual dryness looks very similar to spiritual wandering. The Christian life, look. I know people say, oh, spiritual dryness is part of life. And maybe it's a part of life. Maybe it is. But a spiritual dryness the last years? I know people who were spiritually dry ever since I got here. When did I get here? Eight years ago. If you're spiritually dry for the last eight years, maybe you're wandering. Maybe you're hoping one day I will not be spiritually wandering anymore. You can't say that. You can't say that for sure. To call this today for the Lord, the God calling you to stop wandering today, to stop the dryness today, Can I tell you something really mean but necessary? I haven't had a season of dryness for a long time. Maybe at most a week or two. Maybe it's because part of this is part of my job. Maybe because I'm, I'm, I'm ever exposed to the word of God. But I think that's the secret. Maybe it's because of this job I'm ever forced to be exposed to the word of God. That exposure to the word of God and the necessity that I know that I need to pray prevented me from wandering. It's the same recipe for you. And I'm telling you this not to boast in myself, but I'm telling you, God is not God who allows you to be dry for eight years. He will help you to not wander away from him. I know for a lot of us, COVID was a big excuse for unfaithfulness. Let's be real here, right? For, a lot, for eight years, you gave, oh, the world is a pandemic. I can't go outside. Therefore, I don't have to be faithful to God. Really? Can't you see is that that's an excuse of your flesh? And I'm saying you not to condemn you, but I'm telling you this because God wants to fill your spirit with his truth and transform you with the truth. And he will do that if you're humble before him. If you stop making excuses, 
Is your spiritual dryness, is it wandering? That you need to stop wandering. Because once again, the evidence of your salvation is stable faith until the end. And God will help you have stable faith. Brothers and sisters of the church, it is our responsibility to help our brothers who are wandering. We have a full-time pastor on staff who wants to walk with you and counsel you and to make you stop wandering. Do not justify your dryness. Do not justify your wandering. Have faith in the God who will build you up. If you need help, we have brothers and sisters in the church who are willing to help you walk with you. But if you are brother and sister that you know who are wandering, once again, it is our responsibility of the church to help them not wander. But the way you stop, help people want, stop preventing wandering is, number one, you need to be a person of truth. Number two, you need to be a, people, you need to be a people, person of prayer, right? And number three, you got to be a person of love. You need to pray, you need to stand in the truth, and you need to love them in order to prevent a brother and sister from wandering from the truth. If you do that, God can use you to prevent people from spiritual death and, 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 and committing these, these multitude of sins. Do you understand? And I thought I was going to end early today, but I guess I was wrong. Always good intention. But once again, do not think it is natural for you to be dry. It's not. Let us stop wandering and come back to the Lord. Let's pray.